teachers are motivated by relationship, which is why the current context is so challenging for our teachers. So we haven't had children at school for um, eight weeks and they've been doing online learning and that really, really um, discombobulates our teachers because they're used to connecting with children and seeing their eyes and seeing their body language and relating to them. Um, it does make them really well placed to cope with crisis though because they want what's best for the children and they want the children to be succeeding. Kia ora from New Zealand and welcome to the Fernware Learning Lab hosted by Bill and Kelly, Fernware's research and insights team. In this podcast you'll meet some of the world's leading educationalists who will be sharing their stories of inspiration and insights for the future with some practical advice for the classroom. So, um, strange times. How are you doing, Kelly? Yeah, it's a, it's a fast-moving uh, game at the moment, isn't it? At the moment, people having to pull together, um, just keep calm. Also, stop reading too much social media. Everybody kind of panicking. I think we've got this. People just need to yep. be safe. You know, wash your hands, stay a safe social distance. Wise words, look after the vulnerable, don't panic by, don't listen to social media and get your advice from the government website. That's right. Um, And this week, we are very fortunate to catch up with school principal Neil O'Reilly from Kowloon Junior School in Hong Kong. So he's a Kiwi principal who's been living in Hong Kong for quite some time. And he's been through everything, right? He has. He, he went through the Christchurch earthquakes, you know, which was a horrible, terrible thing back in um, 2011. Yeah. And then he's also um, obviously been leading the school through the recent Hong Kong protests. So he has vast experience in dealing with... Uh, various uh, crises and supporting staff through stressful times. And the common themes are all over it, aren't they, right? Yeah. You know, heightened anxiety, stress, the unknown, and the fact that he's also got added in this at the moment is supporting his staff and kids through uh, distance learning. Yeah, when you're all about connection, Mm. how do you cope when you lose connection? That's right. So he's got some really amazing insights on that. Awesome. Also, what we wanted to say is, uh, talking about community and connection and sharing, if you know of anyone that would find this helpful or currently also having to implement uh, distance learning, you know, a big shift for teachers and students, then please share this podcast. Pass on the pod. Pass on the pod. I like it. We are delighted to be able to talk to Neil O'Reilly, a leading educationalist now based in Hong Kong, to hear his experience of guiding schools through times of major disruption. Having dealt with the aftermath of the Christchurch New Zealand earthquakes in 2011 and subsequently the recent Hong Kong disturbances, few school leaders are better placed to pass on useful and practical ways in which to minimise the human impacts. Um, Now we've got this new threat, um, COVID-19 outbreaks, and we just think that everyone can um, benefit from hearing um, your words of wisdom, Neil, and your sharings. Welcome, Neil. Thank you so much for talking to us. Pleasure. Great to talk to you. And I'm not sure there'll be words of wisdom, there'll certainly be words of experience. So um, you've got a unique perspective um, with those earthquakes and Hong Kong. And, and in general, do you think teachers' motivations vary from other careers? And, and, and how does this, if so, how does it um, change the response to crises? Well, to be fair, if you're motivated by money, you wouldn't go into teaching, particularly in New Zealand, because it's not, um, particularly for the qualifications you have, it's probably not as what you would get outside of education. So most people who go into it do have some sort of passion, some sort of childhood dream or a desire to work with children. And I think um, certainly in the Christchurch experience and here in Hong Kong as well, it allows people to work um, very much from, first of all, from a heart point of view and how can we make sure our children 
um, are well and coping emotionally, um, spiritually, physically, because we know that when children have positive well-being, they learn better. So I noticed that um, in the in the context of Christchurch, children uh, teachers would go way over and beyond it, as they are here to make sure our children are well and learning because teachers are motivated by relationship, which is why the current context is so challenging for our teachers. So we haven't had children at school for um, eight weeks and they've been doing online learning and that really, really um, discombobulates our teachers because they're used to connecting with children and seeing their eyes and seeing their body language and relating to them. Um, it does make them really well placed to cope with crisis though because they want what's best for the children they want the children to be succeeding well there's so much in 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 that and i'd like to come back to a lot of that um particularly that disconnect um but just taking it um back again to the um christchurch what 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 exactly happened to windsor school and and uh, in the earthquakes Uh, so on the day we we were fairly shook up as most of christchurch was um, our building stayed safe. Um, I can still remember this day seeing children running past um, my window screaming in, in an absolute abject horror and fear about what was happening. And immediately the staff just did a fantastic job on the backfield of um, reassuring children and making sure everyone felt safe. That was the beginning of what would be um, an incredibly long journey. And I note with interest, I was looking at Waimati School's um, update, and they're just getting their new buildings now which came from the earthquake. So it's been a long journey for many schools. Certainly for our school, um, our school was considered to be robust and sound so much so that we became, um, and I can't remember the exact term, but other schools sent their children to ours post-earthquake because theirs had been so severely damaged. So our school was strong. Um, We could present facts that said it's strong, it's safe, it survived the earthquake and it was a good place to be. And... There were so many complexities at the time um, and so many things that we had to consider and work through um, in an attempt to do the most important thing, which was make our children feel safe. You know, you will know that um, the post-traumatic stress from the earthquake has had quite an impact on Christchurch in multiple ways. So we know that time was incredibly traumatic for children like the time we're in now. Um, So we had a, a big job to do to reassure um, and the number one priority was to make our children feel safe and valued and um, build a relationship with them, and in doing so, build relationship with the community. And we did get there. Um, however, it was because of the incredible hard work. In fact, just this morning, I've just met with our CEO, and our, um, we have 100 staff here, and I repeated a mantra that we had, fake it till you make it. Mm. And... Um, that became really important to us because the teachers had all the stuff going on in their own lives. They had their own family hassles. They had their homes destroyed, jobs lost. You know, they had massive challenges. And we said, all we can do is fake it till we make it. Our children need to see you with a smile, with positive energy, because their own home lives are so in uproar and, and so disrupted. And the teachers did an incredible job of fronting up with a smile. And our commitment was, we will help you and support you. And when you go in front of those children, be that safe place, be that relationship that they can rely on, be, be, um, help them to feel okay for six hours of the day. And we've got the same challenge here at the moment. Well, we, we were talking about the metaphor of uh, make sure your own oxygen mask is on before helping others. And, and half of that sounds like, well, you get as good as you're going to get and then fake it after that so that it looks like you're absolutely fine. And, and that's, you know, that's it. Um, there's, there's a, a certain... Um, 
theory that would suggest being transparent is important, but I think we need to separate um, who we are as adults from children. And just as a parent knows wisely that you don't um, have a huge row in front of your children or you don't expose them to inappropriate content on social media or the news, you don't let them sit and watch that. As adults, we've got a role to play where we say, yes, I might be dealing with these things. However, my job here is to make sure my children feel safe and secure so that they can learn. And that does mean that we have to fake it. And the oxygen mask helps, but then put it on and start faking it because you're probably not feeling too flash below the surface. So as an educator and a leader and an expat, what's your perspectives on, on the Hong Kong protests? Well, the protests have gone very quiet um, because of the coronavirus, which has really taken precedence since Chinese New Year. So since um, late January, prior to that, um, the protests did have a big impact on lives. In, in fact, um, on one morning when I walked out of the uh, MTR, which is the subway here, I walked into what I actually felt like was Christchurch straight after an earthquake. I mean, the streets were littered with um, debris, with stuff that had been used for um, violence in the night. And to come out into that street was was a real shock. I, I thought I was back in Christchurch um, straight after the earthquakes. So the whys and, and wherefores of, of the protests, I understand that um, that that young people in Hong Kong um, feel dispossessed and they feel um, a sense of hopelessness because of the way things have transpired for them, particularly around um, employment, housing, and the changing political landscape. And so it's been a challenging time for them. And I, I suppose what we're seeing is their expression of that frustration and, and lack of hope for some of them. So what about the similarities and differences between um, the, the earthquakes and the Hong Kong protests? Well, funny, um, you should ask that because um, in early January, I presented to the, um, the, the foundation leadership group a presentation about what happened in um, Christchurch because the similarities were so many. So what we mm. had was a crisis. What we had is uncertainty. What we had is um, limitation on how we could move around a city. What we had is children who were worried and stressed. What we had is families who were worried and stressed. Just about every indicator in Christchurch that made our life so different was happening here. The only difference that I could really ascertain was that the foe, the, uh, the, the enemy, if you like, or, or the, um, the, the, the battle in Christchurch was against a natural force, which was a natural disaster. Um, here, it was political, which is quite different. But other than that, just about everything was similar. And we looked at the... the um, the move from peak work to stress after four to six weeks of living through chronic um, disruption and uncertainty. And we saw all the same patterns here. So very similar, just a, a different um, opposition, if you like. Instead of being an earthquake, it was a political problem. COVID-19 is, is the same, no? Um, um, but it's just affecting everyone, not just um, specific areas now. I sent a, um, a message to my fellow principals in Hong Kong this morning. I said, who would have thought that when I did that presentation back in January, there would be now talking about something that's effectively a Richter-scale Richter 10 event. Um, Christchurch, as you know, was, was 7.4, I think it was. it was. It was a pretty big event. This is a 10 on any scale. Um, and so I, I wouldn't have thought back then that we would be talking about something that has such significant, um, unbelievable um, implications not for Hong Kong, but the whole world. So, yeah, we're in a very, very, very challenging time. No, it's such a changing situation. Um, what advice do you have for other schools on, on how best to sort of make their decisions? It's interesting. I was reading um, on stuff on the, the Herald this weekend, and I, and I saw Perry Rush 
um, speaking about the situation in, in New Zealand. If, if we have to do homeschooling, um, distance learning, online learning, how does that work when we have over 100,000 families in New Zealand who don't even have access to the, uh, the internet? And, and mm. So for us here, we've gone to distance learning, which is absolutely online, and we, we took all our devices that we had at school and, and sent them home with children, which if I was still at Waitaki, we could certainly do with our year fives and sixes because we had enough devices to do it. So the upshot is it's, it's complex. I mean, um, if I come right back to the start of this conversation, teachers are in their job because they are relational people. They love the nuance and connection with children. Mm. If schools have to go into distance learning, and let's hope they don't in New Zealand. Let's hope they can hold hold things as they are. If they do, um, the learning curves are immensely steep for teachers, it, and, it, and it's stressful and it's worrying. So my teachers in the first five weeks of this term are working incredibly long hours, mm. trying to come up to speed with um, what we're doing right now, Zooming or Google Meet, trying to understand how that can work if you've got a class of 30 children, um, figuring out ways to give feedback to children with their learning, um, coping with that feedback and the copious emails while still trying to prepare learning by distance. Um, so my advice is that if, if it comes about that New Zealand does move to distance learning for areas or the whole country is to reach out to people around the world. So we're already 10 weeks into it. Reach out to people who have already learned a whole lot of stuff along the way yeah. because the learning curve is steep. And the best thing we can do as educators, and I come back to something you said earlier about, you know, collaboration the best thing that we can do as educators is collaborate and, and mm. find out what has and hasn't worked um, and, and it's so different um, from a year one class to a year eight class from a year eight class to a year 13 it's very very different the response we have to give if we're going to be doing effective distance learning when you're supporting staff how do you look out for the signs of your teams presenting with stress-related anxiety um, it's it's about come back to relationship. It's about one-to-one um, -one conversations. So we phone our staff every week. We've got multiple layers of checking in with staff. I phone the staff once a fortnight. The rest of the senior leadership team phone them on the opposite fortnight. So we're checking in and seeing how people are going. I, some schools are doing surveys, but to me that seems a little bit clinical with staff. I think we need to talk to find out how people are going. So that's what we're doing. Um, and and really. All we can do is say to people, keep on reaching out. We will support you. We will help you the best we can. So uh, on that chart of stress, there's a little bit of stress that is, is a good thing, and then it suddenly goes into too much, and then it makes you sick. Again, it's a balance, right? It is, and, and, and we're probably, we're at the, the, we got to the, the peak of the um, healthy stress probably about three weeks ago. So that's why we are seeing staff not looking as chirpy as they were after the weekend's news and um, so we're coming into our Easter break like New Zealand and most of our staff's travel plans have just been cancelled. Now, that might not seem particularly concerning from a New Zealand point of view, but our staff are expats. They can't get home. And that is incredibly worrying. Three of our staff have got weddings coming up. One's already been cancelled. Another one is, might not get to her. So the stress is unbelievable. Um, and I don't know the short answer to it other than we have to keep on reaching out and doing all we can to support our staff. And as I said to them this morning, reach out to one another. So let us know if you're struggling, but also reach out to your colleagues and your team. So, so um, the next question is, uh, what are three practical ways in which staff can be supported? One is reaching out, obviously. Yep, um, we use mindfulness. So we just had a meeting this morning with our CEO and our 100 staff on the Zoom screen like you are now, but we started with the mindful minute. Um, one of our leaders took us through that help us to calm and centre ourselves because, man, the, the stuff that's going on around in our heads at the moment and social media and media bombarding us. So mindfulness, 
reaching out to staff. Um, I suppose the third one is, is a constant message from, um, from, from myself and, and the leaders is that we are here to support. So asking them to reach out to us, but us continually saying our job is to support you because if we want this to work, we need our staff to be okay. School leadership and management, do you have separate advice for, for other school leaders and, and what do they need to consider? I think it comes back to those things that we're talking about, the, the well-being of their staff and their children, the communication methods we use. The risk leaders have is they communicate from their own dominance or perspective and that often misses the mark for our parents and our staff. So being mindful of what do what sorts of things are going to help our staff and our community through this crisis and, and trying to make sure that communication is meeting the needs of the receiver rather than the one who's producing the communication. To me, that's critically important. Did you have a, a technology expert advise on the platforms that would best fit your curriculum? Well, um, no. Um, we, we started with Google Meet and then we went to Zoom and for some real practical reasons. So those are the two options we had um, in terms of Live Connect. And that was primarily with Zoom was because you could see more children on the screen. There was more control for the person who was running it. So that's been really helpful. So we've we've moved in that direction as a school. Others have done it different ways. And in terms of um, um, learning platforms, um, there's been a real range. So to be fair, Google Classroom is working incredibly well for our senior part of the school. Seesaw has been working really well for the junior part of our school. It, it's... And there are lots of other people out there who are absolutely promoting their business hard out at the moment. Mm-hmm. And that's where leaders have to be really mindful of the pressure on staff. And, and our job is to filter, filter through our vision of what teaching and learning is and make sure that what we're putting in front of our teachers is another 10 options that they have to work through. Our job is to say, look, this is where we're going to start and let's see how it works and we'll tweak and change. Because... Um, the biggest risk for me is teacher overload um, with all the things coming at me. You mentioned 10 years worth of learning in, in two weeks. I mean, hallelujah, we're seeing some of the change coming that we've been wanting. And we have to be careful that it doesn't absolutely um, exhaust our teachers along the way. You know, the wonderful thing is that there is a wealth of online resources. And the bad thing is that there's a wealth of online resources because teachers' heads literally are going to explode when they're looking at all those. And that's why we come back to collaboration and teams saying, well, how about I do this and you do that, I do the other, rather than one person trying to do it all because information overload is absolutely happening for staff. So last couple of minutes, big overall lessons to be learnt and that we need to apply. What, what, what are the big, what, big picture things? Do you know, it hasn't really changed from what effective leaders will be doing in their schools, which is listening to their people, listening to the community, listening to their staff, and then holding fast to the vision that you have for teaching and learning and finding a way to navigate through this really tricky time with different platforms and different methods to get what we want for our, for our children, which is well-being. And, and, and here we talk about agency, self-regulation and, and learning. Because ultimately, ultimately, our job is still to help to create learning opportunities for our children to see them learn. So that's, that's the big thing for me. And that's it for this week's podcast. Principal Neil O'Reilly returns next week to tell us how we can best support our students and parents through anxious and stressful times. Children will not learn if they are anxious, if they are scared, if they are worried. So the number one thing we can do that we can collaborate on and for is for the well-being of our children. We get that right, then everything else will be okay. 
If you would like to be part of our podcast or you know someone that you think would be a really great guest, we'd love to hear from you. So until next time, take care, keep well and keep collaborating, connecting and communicating. Thanks for listening. Ka kite anō. <laughs>